Good morning again and welcome to High Point Online. My name is Andy, in case you're just tuning in. And this is High Point Church Online. We're thrilled to have you here today. I want to talk to you today about having healthier relationships with the people around you. I'm going to go out on a limb, call me crazy, but I would guess that maybe your home life, your home relationships, uh, your roommates, your relationships might be just a little bit better if there was maybe a little less sarcasm. I know that's difficult to imagine. Maybe a little less um, side eye, an eye rolling, uh, or even dismissive speech and conversation towards one another. You might have a little bit more peace and grace with one another. True story. I might be crazy, but I would imagine that your work life with your boss, with your coworkers, the neighbor across the street, the neighbor that's living next door to you, you might have a little less tension if you learned how to navigate and move forward in a healthier form of communication with grace and forgiveness and patience and understanding. Or what about the stranger on Facebook that you are hulking out over in the comment thread? You know what I'm talking about. It's a person that you have a relationship with, but you don't really have a relationship with literally at all. Yet somehow your heart is beating out of its chest and you've got a thread going and you're waiting to see what they have to comment back to you. And you can't even go to sleep because your heart is beating so fast at the, at the outrage that's taking place in your heart. Am I the only one who's felt this way? I know I'm not. See, today we're going to talk about how to move forward in healthier relationships. Not just today, but in the weeks to come. Lord knows, God literally knows that as a culture and as a city and in our communities, we need to mature as a people, in order to have better, healthier, more fulfilling relationships. We need this right now. And the fruit of it would literally be felt in the peaceable peaceable nature of our homes and our work life and our neighbors. We would literally experience the fruit of it almost immediately if we had healthier relationships. I think we can all agree that our lives and our communities would be a little bit better off with more peace, more kindness, more love, and a little less anger and a little less outrage. So what do we do about all the the problems that these other people have? In other words, what do we do about the impossibly difficult, overwhelmingly complicated problem of people. Not you, of course. I want to make sure that's clear. I'm not talking about you or me. It's those other people. Oh, wait. No, I'm not. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is going to be a mirror to us in the next several weeks on what it looks like to love one another. Jesus said this in Matthew uh, chapter 22. 
He says, uh, when he's summing up the law, he's being, he's being grilled uh, by the religious leaders of the day. And they're asking him, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says that there's another commandment that's just like it. And it's to love your neighbor as yourself. He literally takes these two commandments and he begins to put them together in similar fashion. In other words, you don't really have one without the other. And so when we talk a big religious game about our love for God and our worship moments and our amazing preaching, yet we walk out the doors of our church or our homes in this particular case, and we don't have love for our neighbor, we can't truly say that we're loving God with our, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not. And many times, I grew up a little bit this way, and I think there's a drift for all of us this way. That we, we love to be right positionally, many times far more than we love to be right in our actions. Meaning, I love to be right in how I stand for something. But when that actually requires something of me, oh, it's a different ballgame. Well, this series is designed to move loving your neighbor from your head to your heart into your actions. 1 Corinthians 13, it's a long text, and we're going to read all of it right now. Paul is writing this to the Corinthian church. He says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It isn't self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only as a, a, a we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's a lot to read. And frankly, I could walk off the set right now and we would have enough to just deal with from that text alone with me saying nothing else. Love is patient. Love is kind. Ouch. That right there is a lot to, 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 to really honestly do something with. When Paul is writing this, this text, 
when he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, he's, he, is, he is helping the church deal with some of their issues and problems. Corinth is a major metropolitan city. It has like 12 temples in it. It's the biggest city in, in the Greco-Roman period at this time. It's big time, okay? And uh, the, the, the church, it's a new church. Paul has been in Corinth for about a year and a half, and the church has been birthed. But there's a lot of things that they don't know. And frankly, the church has been greatly influenced less by the word of God and the apostles at this time, and much more by the culture around them. And I have bad news for us. 2,000 years later, many times still, the church is less informed by the word of God. And many times we soak in our culture and we literally live like everyone else. But the church is called to be holy, to be set apart, to be different. And no place should that be more true than in our relationships with each other. The scriptures remind us that, that the, the world will know us by our love for one another. They'll know us by how we treat each other and other people. It should be so radically different. So we get to chapter 13 in this letter to the Corinthian church. And it's arguably probably the most quoted chapter in all of the Bible. Many of you have had portions of this read at your wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does this. Love doesn't do that. And we love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. Except for the fact. That, hear me. There's nothing wrong with having that quoted you know, at your wedding. There's nothing wrong with going to the furniture store and hanging the wooden sign with the white cursive letters on it that says love is patient. Love is kind. In your home. All Power to you. But understand that when Paul is writing this to the church, he is not congratulating them on what they possess. He is correcting them on what they lack. Okay, the, this church is gifted. This church is prolific. It's growing. People are getting saved. There's people speaking in tongues. There's prophecy. There's gifts of faith. There's healing. There is an amazing move of the Spirit of God taking place in the Corinthian church. But Paul has to remind them that with all of these things, with all of these gifts, with everything that's happening, you can have all of this. But if you don't have love, you have Nothing. You have nothing. And so we're reminded that everything without love is actually nothing. You can have everything today, church. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. The first verse, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But don't have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What a fun description. A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Don't just read past this. You know, I, I have I, in, in my home, we have four kids. And at one point we had a drum set in my house. We don't anymore, but we're getting ready to have another drum set added to the equation before too long. Now, I have news for you, in case you didn't know. When your child sits down at a drum set and begins to, you know, take the drumsticks and hit the cymbals, it is, it is actually really cute. 
for about two seconds, okay? It's cute for about two seconds because the crashing of the cymbals, right? There's no other sound happening. There's no, there's no band that's playing with them. It's just them beating the ever-loving life out of a drum set. And you, your job as a parent is to cheer them on and say, great job. Yet it's difficult to live with. It hurts your ears. It's jarring. It's abrasive. Some of you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and the sound of your alarm, it's the resounding gong that you just despise. You hit snooze or you think to yourself, if I have to hear my spouse's or my roommate's alarm one more time because they've hit snooze, I'm going to lose my mind. You need to read this chapter actually again uh, and and love each other better. (laughs) We don't like the resounding, the sound that just out of nowhere just keeps repeating. It drives us crazy. Or the clashing, clanging symbol. It is abrasive. We don't like that. And when you as a Christian, when you know all these things and you've got all the theology right and all the gifting in in its proper place and you're prolific and you've just got it going on as a Christian, but you don't love your neighbor well, your life is really nothing more than that resounding gong. And you know what that does? It frustrates people. It's like that clanging cymbal that's just hard on people's ears. This is what our lives become when we do not lead with love. I'm not saying today that every interaction you have should just make people feel all rosy and warm and fuzzy. That's not true love either. Love can have hard conversations. But when we put other people first, when we lead with sacrificial love, or as in Jesus instructed, when you love people the way that you want to be loved, the way you would want to be treated, Well, it allows you to lead forward and to move forward in your relationships in such a way that that preserves and protects and and fights for the well-being of the people around you rather than you just being right or you just getting your own. See, Paul knows what it's like. Corinth, one of the main vocations in Corinth, one of the biggest industries, is metalworking. People are making metal objects, weapons, metal, metal this, metal that. We don't need to get into all the details of it. But imagine walking through the market and you've got, you're going to have metal workshops. And what are people doing? They're hammering and shaping and making metal. It, would have not have been, it wouldn't have been very enjoyable to just get your cup of coffee in the morning and hang out in the marketplace where all the metal is being made and, and, and hammered and, 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 and you know, made into different objects would have been abrasive to you. And yet this is exactly what our lives are like when we don't lead with love. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, it says, If I had the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. Paul doesn't say that it's like you're nothing. He literally says that we are nothing. I don't like that. That's hurtful to me. Because I aspire to be somebody who's got faith. 
faith for miracles. And I'm the kind of person that I want to be able to preach and I want to preach a lights out message. And I want to be able to speak prophetically. And I want to see, I want people to to look at Andy and think, wow, he's really wise. He can fathom all the mysteries of the world. And you know what? These things aren't bad in and of themselves. But if you have them and possess them without love, true love for one another, you have nothing and you are nothing the bible says we're nothing everything without love is actually nothing in my own life i've confused gifting with character on on well far too many times and paul is getting at that here now, we're talking specifically about love, but let's just even take it a step back because many times we see people with gifts and gifting and we impute character to them. Gifting opens the door for, for an audience. It opens the door for opportunities and, and vocations and moments and, and fame and, and people to follow you. Gifting affords you that. But gifting does not afford you character. Gifting does not afford you a true, sacrificial, Christ-like love for one another. And far too many times we have seen in our culture people who profess uh, to follow Christ and are gifted yet have never cultivated a deep, true love for the people that they're actually leading. How many times have we seen it with pastors and you think, man, that message was unbelievable. And then the next week you have, you know, this, this fall from grace. How does that happen? It's because we have developed gifting over character. And Paul is rearranging the pieces to this puzzle. And he's making sure that we understand something that you can have all of these things. You can lead a worship song and lead us into the third ring of heaven and be that gifted, singing, playing an instrument. But if you don't have love for one another, if you don't love the people around you the way Christ loves you, then you don't really have much. You may be the best life group leader the world has ever seen. You're just a master facilitator. Or maybe you can write the content. You're a fantastic writer, author, the whole nine yards. It doesn't matter if you have not learned to love one another. In my case, it doesn't matter if I can preach a great message. If I can preach and if I can speak in tongues and prophesy and heal the sick, none of these things really matter if we're not led by love. Now, hear me. Paul talks, he opens us up in 1 Corinthians 13, not by defining what love is, but by defining what love isn't. And each week, I mention this, we're going to be adding pieces to it. If you're sitting here and you're frustrated because I haven't gotten to all the other pieces of what love looks like, well, we're going to begin to get to that. But today, what we are talking about is the fact that your gifting doesn't mean much in God's kingdom if you don't love the people around you. Just doesn't matter. In fact, it's more than, than it just not mattering. Your life becomes a clanging symbol, an irritant, an abrasive sound that people just wish would go away. 
when you don't love people well. Remember that. Luke chapter 9, 51 through 56. (laughs) One of my favorite stories in the Bible. For all the wrong reasons, it's one of my favorite stories. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead and went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked the Lord, Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Okay, just take a walk with me through the text. Jesus is is about to enter a village. He sends James and John and some of his disciples in, and the people aren't interested in it. They don't want Jesus there. And they're indignant. How dare they? Who do they think they are? Don't they know who we are? Don't they know who Jesus is? He's the one who can raise the dead. He heals the sick. You haven't heard preaching until you've heard Jesus' preaching. Come on, somebody. I mean, are you hungry? Jesus can divide some loaves and fish and fill all your stomachs. Do you know who you're dealing with here? He is the gifted one. And by the way, we're with him. So you better respect us. When James and John are asking Jesus what they should do, I love how utterly convinced they are that if they prayed for God to send fire down, like they fully believe this was going to happen. Some of you have a Bible that says lightning, right? Just should we call down lightning and just nuke them, right? I get this. There is a part of me that deeply resonates with James and John, and I wish that wasn't the case. And I have to work. I have to think and pause and consider, Jesus, how would you respond in this moment? See, all of us have different dispositions, but James and John, the sons of thunder, their disposition was not to love first. It was to literally enact judgment and fire and lightning and vengeance first. This was the disposition. And frankly, when you survey our communities right now, many times this is the disposition of our people as well. It's just, you disagree with me? Now I nuke you, right? On social media, in person, we can't have conversations at all where people even just disagree in any form of fashion. This is immaturity as a church. This is immaturity as a people. Well, what do we do in this moment? Well, we start by not leaning into our gifting, but leaning in to God's grace and love for people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what does that look like? It looks like you loving other people the way you want to be loved. All of the law can be summed up in these two commandments. As I was preparing for the message this week, I I ran across this quote that I thought fits so perfectly by Josiah Gregory. People, he says, of little religion are always noisy. He who has not the love of God in man filling his heart is like an empty wagon coming violently down a hill 
It makes a great noise because there is nothing in it. It's just rattling and shaking violently. But there's no substance and there's no true content to it. And so as we begin to close this morning, here's what I want to invite you to do as we look at loving each other more like Christ. When I was growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s, I think it was more the 90s, people would have these little bracelets that said WJD. And I think it's even made a comeback in recent years, right? But it stood for what would Jesus do? And if you're like, oh, my eyes are rolling into the back of my head 14 times because I grew up with that, uh, that's fine. But understand the question is still an incredible question to ask yourself. As we look at the interactions that we have, as we look at the, 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 the manner in which we're relating to people, here's a question that I have had to ask myself. What is God's best for this person in this moment? That's literally the question I have to wrestle with. Before I, I tangle with this person or I get into this moment or I'm talking to my kids or I'm being a dad or being a husband or being a pastor, what is God's best in this situation? You know what I want people to do for me? You know what I want them to treat me like? I want them to think the same thing. What is God's best for Pastor Andy in this moment? And then that's the manner in which I'm going to treat him. That's the manner in which I'm going to relate to him and interact with him. What's God's very best? What would he do? How would he respond? What would he say? What would be his temperament? I did not say it would be easy. It is nothing short of the miraculous power of God that you would love like God loves. But because you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have been changed and made new and the power of Jesus, the same power that raised him from the dead, lives inside of you and allows you to love in a way that is different than every other kind of love. You can love sacrificially and you can love with Christ in mind. Jesus, how do you think about this person? What do you think? What would you say? What would you lead me to do? What is your best for them? That's the question. That is your action step. Rather than what can I do? How can my gifting impact this situation? Jesus how can you impact this situation? How can you lead through me in this moment? Lord, that's my heart's desire. Let me not be a clinging cymbal or a resounding gong today. Let me love like you love. With all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you filled us with the Holy Spirit and that we can love like you love. God, it's not easy at times. But because you have graced us, you've put the Spirit inside of us, you've made us new, you've changed us. God, you've given us the ability to love, to not think of our own selves all the time, Lord, but to put others first, to lay our lives down for the sake of another. God, help us to love like you love Jesus. Keeping other people's interests in mind. 
but be with us in this moment. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, We're going to be unpacking what it means to really love like God loves and Jesus loves for the next several weeks as we move through the text. And each week, we're going to have a different way for you to apply this. And in today's message, you know, we got the Super Bowl just a few hours. Some of you are going to be duking it out online with somebody, right? Take a second, pause, and literally ask yourself, okay, what is God's best in this scenario? Ask it. Write it on a piece of paper. Write it on your mirror. Put a post-it note in your car. If you lose your, your junk driving, right? Well, this is what you need. God, what is your best for that person? How can I be a blessing to them? What would Jesus do? And do it. Move it from your head to your heart to your actions. That's it. We'll see you right here next week. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Love y'all.